Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. This morning we are starting a new series called Keeping Score. And we'll do, uh, we'll do this is a three-week uh, series that we'll, uh, uh, we'll dive into. Um, I wonder, um, as you think about keeping score, like uh, there's a lot of guys here and girls, a lot of us that enjoy sports. We enjoy the kinds of things that um, uh, require us to keep score, require us to keep a tally, if you will. And I wonder if you keep a tally of who owes you. Who owes you? What God owes you? Do you keep a tally of all the good things you've done and all the ways that he should be giving you what you deserve? I mean, it's a, it's a real thing, this thing of keeping score. But what if we lose count? What if we choose to lose count? Instead of keeping score, we'll just not keep a count. Imagine the freedom if we lost count of the offenses against us. What if we forgave as Christ has forgiven us? What if we lost count of what our right hand is given and just freely opened our hands to give and receive? What if we would lose count of our acts of right living to freely walk in the grace of Christ and to lose count? Here's the other one that we ought to lose count of, and that is our personal failures. If God has forgiven us, and he has, then we ought to lose count of our personal failures and rest up secure in God's grace and in God's sovereignty. I forgive you three words that are sometimes difficult to say and sometimes they're even more difficult to receive. I forgive you. C.S. Lewis says, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. Isn't that the truth? It's so easy to say. In fact, it is easier said than done, this thing of forgiveness. Because what if, what if the apology doesn't come? What if the bully at school never sees the error of his ways and never comes back and says, please forgive me? What if they don't even know they hurt you? Everyone in this space this morning, everyone online, wherever we are this morning, I could place a very strong bet that you and I have all been hurt. We all 
have reason to live in unforgiveness. We could all think about, in fact, right now, there are some things rolling through your head where you have been hurt, disappointed. Someone has not measured up to your expectations. Someone has done you wrong. This is part of the human experience. That's why I can with certainty say that you are not the exception to the rule. No one escapes pain and the possibility of needing forgiveness, giving it or receiving it. What I want to say about that is that if you're leaning into unforgiveness, sometimes we have seasons like that. In our humanity, sometimes we have seasons where we lean into unforgiveness. And what I want to say to you is that on the other side of that is where you'll find freedom, it's where you'll find grace, it's where you'll find mercy. As you give, so shall you receive. But don't be impatient with yourself. Listen, it's a process. This thing of forgiveness is a process. And Brenda and I have often talked about this, how in our own personal experience, the thing of forgiveness was uh, similar to a multi-layered onion, let's say, where you... You say, uh, you, maybe you just begin with, God, I'm not feeling forgiveness, but I want to forgive. Maybe it's that's the first step. And man, you're feeling good about it. We did this. We felt so good about the level of forgiveness that we had extended to the people that had hurt us. Until one day, we're standing in worship at church, and I... Uh, walked out, our kids were little, and I walked out into the hallway to do something with them, and, and the perpetrator, it's a strong word for what happened, but let's just use that word, comes around the corner. This is their first time, they're visiting our church. And I remember walking in, after I got over the shock, I walked in to Brenda, and I said, you won't believe who's here this morning crap. What are we going to do now? And she looked at me and she said, I thought we were leaning into forgiveness. What, God, now you're making us share our church with them too? Like, what is up with that? And we had to peel another layer off that onion. And over time, over time, Years of allowing God to do a work in us. We're living into forgiveness. And we're no longer plagued by the pain that was done to us. So be patient. Be patient with yourself. Allow yourself to go through the process. And let me also just say this idea of forgiving and forgetting. Well, um, that's a great gift if you can just forget. But there is such a thing as trauma, and some of you have experienced trauma. It's important that you have boundaries. 
man, lean into forgiveness. Forgive those that have hurt you, that have exerted pain on you, but know your boundaries too. Just because you forgive doesn't mean that you forget. And just because you forgive doesn't give allowance for the person that has not lived into um, being a person of high standards or whatever the case is. If they have not repented, you got to also have boundaries. So what I'd like to do this morning as we, uh, as we step into this conversation, uh, I'd like for you to stand with me. And we all probably, many of us know Psalm 139, a portion of it. But for our purposes, would you, uh, would you extend your hand like this? Uh, we, we use that a lot around here. You can, you can do one hand, two hands, but just put your hands out like this. And we do this around here as a symbol of surrender. It's a symbol of, of just being open to whatever the Spirit of God wants to say to us. And I invite you just to close your eyes. Listen to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you. Some of us have not thought about forgiveness or unforgiveness in a long time. And some of the things that were done to us, perhaps we haven't thought about that in a long time. Unforgiveness is often multi-layered. So as we uh, stand in this place, from Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts, my anxiety. And see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O oh God and know my heart. And now remain standing for the reading of the word. From Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, 
How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. And then he tells a story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Be seated. Going back to verse 21 of this passage. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Peter thought it was being pretty generous with seven times. I mean, because in the Jewish culture, three times was pretty gracious. And instead, Jesus says, essentially, forgiveness has no limits. Forgiveness has no limits. Basically, he says, hey, don't count. Lose count. Don't keep score. Lose count. Don't keep score. When I read verse 35, which says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you. So the angry king sends the man to prison to experience pain until he has paid his debt. I stumbled on that a little bit again. And I have before, because it drew me back to Matthew 6, where as Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, he says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Does that make you pause too? Do you know what you feel like when you're living in unforgiveness? You know that bitterness sets in when you live in unforgiveness? Hatred 
is not unusual when you live in unforgiveness. Peace is not part of the plan when you live in unforgiveness. Anxiety is often a byproduct of living in unforgiveness. See, none of us want to live in any of those descriptors that I just gave. None of us want to live there or stay there. And yet, when we live in unforgiveness, our Heavenly Father, who is always about forgiving, allows us to sit in that pain of unforgiveness. See, there are always consequences, aren't there? for our actions. There are always consequences for those things that are hidden within us even because our Father knows those things that are hidden within us. So whether that, that unforgiveness is blatantly obvious to everybody around us, when we know that we're living in unforgiveness, we also know that the descriptors I just gave are present in our lives. Paul addresses this in Ephesians 4, verse 32. He says, in his writing to the church in Ephesus, he says, instead, be kind to each other. Instead of living in unforgiveness, be kind to each other. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here it is, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And again, to the church in Colossae, he says, Colossians 3, he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Do you? Do I? Make allowance for each other's faults. Or are our standards higher for other people than they are for even ourselves? Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And as I was reading this, I, I was then also drawn to, um, to Matthew again and the description of what happened to Jesus right before he was crucified. And, and you know, if you've, if you've um, experienced mocking or bullying or any of those sorts of things, that's a, like a form of, uh, I, I would say that's a form of suffering. But Jesus, if you remember, he was stripped of his clothes and the soldiers put on this purple robe over him. They pressed a crown of thorns on the top of his head. They put a staff in his hand. Then they pretended to worship him just mocking him, but pretend worshiped. They took that staff and they struck him on the top of the head. Well, then ultimately, they hung him on a cross. And as he's hanging there, he looks out over the crowd and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Like, wrap your head around that. It's really difficult. The ultimate suffering was done by Jesus, and you and I have that as our example of living into forgiveness. A 2015 study suggests that there are two types of forgiveness. So go with me here for a second. Two types of forgiveness. Decisional forgiveness. This is where we make a conscious decision to let go of hurt feelings, such as anger and resentment putting them in the past and moving forward free of the effects of those feelings and the things that they bring to us. And the second way is emotional forgiveness, which means replacing those negative emotions toward the person who has wronged you. Now we're going deeper than the just making a decision. Now we're actually addressing the emotions that we feel. 
toward this person who's wronged us with positive ones, such as empathy, sympathy, and compassion. So, decisional forgiveness, emotional forgiveness. So what happens, what happens to us physically when we withhold forgiveness? And as I tick these off, I suspect there's a bunch of us that have experienced some of this. Let me jump back to verse three, uh, Colossians 3, verse 13 again. The word offends shows up here. Forgive anyone who offends you. So living in unforgiveness is essentially saying, I'm holding on to the offense, the thing that offended me. And we're being called to forgive anyone who offends us. So the first thing that's affected is our mind. When offense takes root, when we embrace the wrong that was done to us and say, come on in, I gotta feel you. I gotta feel this offense. Gotta take it all in. When offense takes root, the first place it's coming after is your mind. If offense can attach itself to your thoughts, it owns your ability to process understanding. The moment offense, the offense, attaches itself to your mind, you lose the ability to have clarity and your peace is diminished. Clarity and peace. I don't know about you, but I want to retain peace. And I don't know about you, but I'm not smart enough to lose any more clarity. Like, I need clarity. The second place it gets us is, is, is our sight. How we see our vision is impacted because offense attaches itself to our sight and we begin to see through that filter of unforgiveness. So you look on social media, every post, every picture, people that you know, oh my, there must be, it must be about me. Like you're seeing it through the filter of, a, of, a, of being now being an, a direct attack on you. And what is, what is a general or a normal statement? When somebody says something, it seems like it's a direct shot against you. Offense shifts your vision from fulfilling your purpose to assuming opposition from everyone and everything. Here's the kicker. You know how, how when we're following Jesus, like uh, ultimately we would be, um, when we believe in something and when we say, I'm a follower of such and such, or I am deeply in love with my wife, I love my family, those are descriptors, those are ways in which we are devoted. When you allow, when we allow offense to take our sight, to take our vision, it's, it's like becoming devoted to seeing what is done to you instead of recognizing what God is doing. We become devoted in taking offense at those things that are done that we at least perceive, that we see that is being done to us as opposed to seeing through the filter of grace and mercy and forgiveness and seeing and recognizing what God has done for us. Proverbs 29 says, if, if, and this is in the message translation, so it's, it's a little bit different, but if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most 
blessed. That's beautiful. The third way is our heart. The moment that offense attaches itself to your heart, every single thing you do becomes toxic and dangerous. It's out of the abundance of your heart that everything about your true intentions are revealed. It's that moment that your heart becomes so infected that your actions become destructive to those around you. This is a very dangerous place to find yourself. Now that sounds extreme, but think about what happens within your heart. When your heart becomes bitter, when your emotions get all tied up in unforgiveness, it's a terrible place to be. The third place is, or the fourth place is relationships. Eventually, offense will put a wedge between you and your family and your friends. And what happens is you find people that commiserate with you in your pain, in your unforgiveness, in your perceived suffering. If you stay in unforgiveness, it will impact your relationships. The poison, the poison of unforgiveness will kill relationships that once were thriving and whole. So what do we do with this? What do we do when we have been hurt and are in pain? When we are living in a place of unforgiveness? Let me suggest to you that life hack number one, like if you, if you want a life hack, if you do this, like this will change everything. And I can't say that about a lot of things. But if you follow this one, your life will change. It's very simple to say, difficult to follow through. It's simply forgive. Stop counting. Some of you are not too sure about this. And yet you have heard a word this morning. When we stood in silence for a bit, I know some of you heard where forgiveness needs to be extended. See, Jesus didn't say, um, if you want to be my disciples, if you want to follow me, then one of the things you could do is forgive. That would be a great step forward. But he didn't say it's optional. The command to obedience is to forgive. And around here, we talk a lot about knowing our neighbor and knowing Jesus. And we can know our neighbor all day long, but if we're going to know our neighbor to the extent that we must live into it, then we will also know Jesus. And if we know Jesus, then we have no option but to know our neighbor. And if we know Jesus, we have no option but to live into forgiveness and expect that he's going to honor, because he says he will. If we live into forgiveness, he will honor that.
And we will become healthy, whole, and thriving people. The opposite is true. If we lean into and if we live into unforgiveness, then we will suffer the consequences of that decision as well. We will live in a place of pain and suffering and bitterness, hardness of heart. These are not characteristics normally associated with the people of God. Not the true people of God. And I hope, my deepest hope, you guys, is that we are known as a congregation of of people, a group of people that are not hard-hearted, that we are not bitter, that we are known as people of the Jesus way that will step into the community around us and forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. Please don't hear me say that your pain is not notable, that it is not true, that your pain is not painful. That's not what I'm saying. But it takes a step. It takes a first step of beginning the process to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. We often, uh, we often like to say that following Jesus is like, oh, it's so freeing. It's so great. And it is. But living free means living free. It means living free from guilt and shame and condemnation. Freedom is living in forgiveness. It's removing all offense, not partial or sort of or maybe, but, but living in forgiveness is removing all offense. Again, Paul writes in Romans 12, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What a good word that is. Live at peace with everyone. A spirit of offense has but one purpose, and that is to destroy you. Offense is when we take offense that is straight from the enemy, so Guard your heart, guard your mind, and keep your spirit devoted to Jesus. Holding no offense is like the ultimate way of living into freedom. It is being healed. It is living in wholeness. It is thriving. This is who I and you are becoming. Romans 12, 21, don't let evil conquer you but conquer evil by doing good. Simple concepts that require us to live above the average person, above the place where we say an average human would live. This idea of conquering evil by doing good requires us to step up. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.